everyone. Welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist and I run a neuroplasticity research lab at the Queensland University of Technology, QUT. We're starting a new series called Thriving Leaders. I think it's really important right now as a country that we come together and help each other. And I think it all starts at the top. The more effective a leader is, the better the organization is. And what can we learn from what we see as leaders that are actually thriving through this crisis? I think we really need really great leaders right now. And what we need leaders to do is understand that people are needing help. And what we do need is this conversation around the brain and neuroscience. And it's really important that we start to see the brain is actually really strong and resilient. And there's nothing wrong with having open conversations about the state of our brain health and fitness. And kind of that's what this series is about. How can we help you help other people? And I'm joined today by Professor Martin Betts. And he's the founder and creator of HeadX, which is a higher education experience. And we're really lucky because he's been having an amazing set of conversations that are very current and relevant with leaders across university sector and other sectors and what we're trying to do is we're trying to glean some kind of understanding or little tips or techniques that that maybe you can take away from this podcast and uh, try for yourself and for your teams what I'm starting to see is this conversation is critical our country is facing something it's never faced before and I think as an Australian uh, and someone that kind of understands a fair bit about the brain now, that we have to do and join together with our knowledge and expertise to help others at this time. So thank you, Professor Betts, for joining us today. Thanks, Selena. It's a real pleasure to be here with you and to um, address some issues that, as you've introduced there, uh, uh, they're critically important at the best of times, but right now with um, the things that people are experiencing, the leaders are probably in demand more than they've ever been. The the demands that are being made of them are more are more um, acute than I think any of them will have experienced before. And the need for them to be on the top of their game and able to support others making their way through challenging times to be at the top of their games has never been a more important issue. So I'm really pleased to join you on a really important topic here today. Thanks for having me. So um, to get this started, I think people really relate to stories and it's very hard to see opportunity at a time like this, isn't it? But some people that you've interviewed, for example, have found some amazing opportunities in the worst of crises. And I was just wondering if you could help people understand what... I mean by that yeah sure I mean I, th I think we've all um, probably got role models mentors or inspiring people that we've come across th throughout our careers and at different times that that, that really um, show us the way of, of, of how to be through what they do rather than what they say um, and I, I'm, I'm my own work on headaches, thank you for introducing it in the way you have here today. I, I had the pleasure recently of, of interviewing someone that I've known for a long time. He's a really well-respected figure in the higher education sector. His name's Dennis Gibson. He was the Vice-Chancellor of QUT when I came to Australia some 17 years ago. 
Um, he was one of Australia's longest-serving vice-chancellors. He went on to become the Chancellor of RMIT. He's now on the board of Torrens University, a private provider, um, w working nationally and going from strength to strength. Um, and reflecting with him on, he, he, he outlined to me the really long journey into leadership and understanding himself and his brain that he'd been on and that it's about 60 years since he first set off to be a student, an undergraduate student in England, being put on a train, as he described it by his mum, to go into a brave new world of learning and a new city and new challenges. So he's, he's been around, around the traps. He's, he's learned a lot along the way. He's got a lot of wisdom. Um, and whilst he's not in a direct leadership role at the moment, when I talk to him about these current times and what it must be like to be a vice chancellor at the, at the moment, his, his eyes lit up and his, um, I could just feel his brain come alive really of how much he saw this as, well, for, the first thing he said was that this was not a time to whinge, that it would be so easy at the moment to complain, to blame, to say this wasn't their fault, to, to say it's someone else's fault. And he said there was a natural temptation to do that, and, and in his own journey he had seen the times when that might have been the right, right, not the right thing to do, but the preferred thing to do. But instead to avoid the blame and to see this as a time of opportunity. And, you know, I could almost feel him wishing he was the 40-year-old new vice-chancellor at QUT again, um, which is something that he was thrust into, actually, he was thrust into that position by a, a little local crisis in that he came out to, to Brisbane and Australia um, as a young academic to be a, a, a deputy vice-chancellor, but he hadn't been in Brisbane long when the vice-chancellor at the time who'd appointed him passed away, and he was suddenly thrust into a leadership role at very short notice. Um, I think at the time he was probably scared, um, unprepared and I don't know what what his state of um, state of, of, of his brain health was at the time but I, I know he's as sharp as a button now as his um, approach as, as he moves into his 80s and he was relishing the opportunity to be 40 years earlier because he sees at these times chance chances for leaders leaders to thrive um, so I think it's a great example there of someone perhaps using mastery of circumstances and how and responses to be made born out of wisdom and accumulated um, brain capacity to to apply that in a way that can see a crisis as a as an opportunity yeah and um, interestingly most people at the moment are feeling kind of under a lot of pressure and being able to maintain that capacity as a leader to look for opportunities then allows your team to look for opportunities. Yeah, um, I mean, in chatting with Dennis, we both actually um, thought back to an example that we, we had some exposure to from the UK much earlier. So it was, it was in the early 1980s when... Um, I I was returning to um, the UK from some earlier assignments out, outside of the UK and outside of Australia and went back to the University of Salford in the UK and um, Dennis was newly in, in Australia at the time but he has heard this story of 
Um, a vice chancellor called John Ashworth. He was the head of Salford University. He'd been recently appointed, had just taken up his role. And at that time, Margaret Thatcher, later to become prime minister, was the minister for education, including responsibilities for higher education. And she changed the funding um, policies and practices in the UK higher education system, meaning that Salford University took something like a 41% hit in its government grants, when government grants were just about everything, that happened almost overnight. Um, and you can imagine how a you know 20,000 student university and 3,000 staff in a university with its leader would be at risk of just buckling under the pressure of that, as many organisations are potentially at risk of buckling under the pressure of the impact of something that's come from nowhere and seems to be going on forever, um, might be now. But I, whilst I never met John Ashworth, I, I arrived in Salford soon after he'd left, and 10 years after this, this episode, people were still talking about him, and the culture of the place was still influenced by what, what how he had responded to that that threat that he turned into an opportunity he took it as an opportunity to reposition the university he created a brand new um position for the university it became the enterprising university he galvanized support from staff and lots of external supporters an organization called campus was formed the campaign to promote the university of salford he got people signing up to support the case of Salford um, who wouldn't have done if they hadn't have had a 41% um, reduction in revenue and that organization went on for years and had such a great spirit amongst it so this was one person so that so the the oft-told anecdotes to me um, would 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 verify one person who in responding to a crisis had it within themselves and decided within themselves that they would make this a chance to bring about positive change, lead by example, an eternal optimist um, who generated and shared optimism in others. Um, I bet he woke up every day thinking about things to be grateful for and things that he should see as what could what 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 were the upsides of the opportunities for the day rather than just the things that could go wrong and. Those two examples to me are just brilliant examples that I've tried to live my life by, particularly in my own transition from being uh, 38 years as a senior academic, uh, at the end of senior academic, to now who'd have thought at the age of 59 that I'd be looking at a education technology startup. But, but great examples of people like Dennis and John are the things that inspire me to try and do that. Exactly. And so I guess... Um, what people may be thinking right now is, and actually, um, if you're listening, I'd like you to take a pause for a second, and I, I want you to think about what do you see as an opportunity right now? Like, just take a pause for a second, and can you think about what you could see as a potential opportunity right now? The reason I ask you that is because the brain likes to only predominantly think about negative things it's just the way it's wired and there's this term at the moment called doom scrolling um, and we can't help it because we want to know how many cases there are etc so this example of looking for opportunity can literally start with one person and what i've seen in my lifetime also um, running 
labs in different places around the world and working in different positions is that an effective, positive, opportunistic leader people galvanise behind and especially a leader that cares for the people they're leading. And one thing I've noticed, and I'd like to talk to you a bit about that as you're moving into this digital innovation space that we all have to now be part of, is what are the opportunities that you're currently seeing for the university sector that we could all get behind um, as someone that's had a lot of experience across all different things, especially Salford being part of that and seeing the difference when you galvanise people versus just making people scared about and thinking about, is it going to be me? Um, am I going to be one of the ones that are being, going to be let go, for example? I think they're two great examples of opportunity versus threat. So I'm interested in your take as you're interviewing lots of leaders across the sector also, what they're seeing or what you're seeing as potential opportunities that us in the university sector might be able to get behind. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was working as a Deputy Vice-Chancellor in a university up until um, May this year, and, and I, I knew that I would be moving out of my role in October of 2019. So um, at that time, I, my, my own circumstances were such that um, I probably wasn't in the best shape myself in terms of, of how I was feeling about positive things in life compared with things that that might be challenges or, or can go wrong in in someone's life um but i i had the opportunity really through a transformation in my own circumstances to adopt a really positive mindset so i think the 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 proudest part of the end of my full-time academic executive career was the way that i was able to leave well a career after such a long period of time. I think that was one thing that I'll look back on very fondly. And uh, and as we got to three months from the end in February this year, the emergence of the pandemic and then the feeling of horror as the university sector in Australia, but worldwide and its students and its staff doing teaching were suddenly thrust into this panic and adrenaline fueled rush to get everything online almost overnight and having huge uncertainty about finances for the future has been in this sort of anxious period for now some 10 months of not knowing so many people not knowing whether they're going to have jobs students not knowing when when if ever they'll be able to get back onto campuses leaders not knowing if ever when they'll have certainty and when they would have certainty what what the consequences are of that certainty on the planning the futures of their organizations that was really painful to to watch that and I mean it would have been easy to say thank goodness I'm not in that anymore I got out at the right time um I think about myself and not worry about all of those sort of left behind but Instead, I, I just saw that again as a real opportunity. I'm now starting a consulting business. I'm starting doing the production of thought leadership and content for the sector. And here I am now. I've, in, I've interviewed two, a former vice chancellor and a, the leading policy analyst this week with um, a brand new shiny vice chancellor this morning signing up to be interviewed by me sometime early next week. And 
My, my own podcast series is on, on the verge of being adopted by the higher education press. And I, I just feel pleased that I've been able to, in that off, off overused term, pivot myself and find new opportunity. But in doing so, find a way of giving back to a lot of people that are suffering. And I think I've learned from people like Dennis and John Ashworth and the many others I've worked with in the sector over many years in doing that. And there's a huge amount of satisfaction that comes from using your skills, having empathy with people and trying to do things that can make a difference for them. I've, I've never felt happier about the opportunities that I have to now make a difference in my work. Yeah, and um, I think uh, th that's a nice little segue to what I like to call leading through the brain or inside leadership is another way because I really think that effective leadership starts with effective leadership in your own life. And um, this is a big topic, I know, but we'll just briefly touch on it because I think all leaders out there have been through a lot this year. And so just some techniques that you may need to think about. Uh, how, how are you tracking for yourself? Like you may be effective leader, but how are you feeling inside? Are you aware of um, what strategies you're using every day to look after your own stress and things like that? Because it couldn't be more effective and important um, to help your own brain health first because that's where it all starts from. And oh. then your team mirror your behaviour. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I had a, um, a postdoc in England a long time ago who, who was confident enough to um, give me feedback and it took me a long while later to realise that being open to feedback and seeing the value in feedback is hugely important. And... Um, and he gave me a comment that really res that, that really stuck at the time and has resonated with me so many times since of of how much he enjoyed working with me, mainly because when I was up and positive, I had this great capacity, as he described it, to make everyone else feel positive. But that when I went down, it brought everybody down. And I mean, I suppose it's obvious that that's going to be the case, but you're not you're not so aware of it yourself because particularly when you're down you become so much more concerned with how you are rather than its impact on other people but I, I, I that really resonated with me then and I've tried to um, be focused on that ever since because I think the ability of leaders in teams to to ensure that the energy that they have is is more positive than negative and to try and mod moderate it and modulate it and to the extent that it doesn't burn people out with enthusiasm when it's up high and leave people stranded and isolated when you're down low. I, I, I found it coming back to me when I worked with a leadership coach through a major organisational change at QUT a little a long later, actually. It was at the, around 2012-2013. It's when the science engineering faculty was, was formed out of two former faculties. Ironically, they're being disestablished and going back to what they were again now but there was a huge change project I was appointed as its executive dean halfway through the year that it was created I put a huge amount of effort into it I I, I think one of the challenges I have in model in managing my own brain is to try and temper the over enthusiasm at times when it feels it feels um, easy to do so and save some of it for times when you really might need it. And I, I got to about 
this time of year, October, November of that particular year, and I, I just fell in a heap. I f and I fell in a heap when people probably most needed me. And so I vowed there and then at the summer holiday at the beach that I had at the end of that year that I'm, I've, I'm learning from that. So when Andy Clark told me that I need to not always be just the highly energetic um, lifter of all at the good times, but avoid becoming the flat um, puller down of, of, of all or many at the low times. And when Karen, my coach, guided me and coached me into saving energy for the times when you really need it rather than using it all up when you've got most of it, they, these were just really big lessons for me in thinking about how I was managing myself to be the most effective leader you can be. And it's, um, it's counterintuitive of, of doing what you think's right at the time, as so much perhaps of the brain is. Mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to step back from what might be the simple things or the easy things and recognise that things are simple but not always easy. And sometimes you've got to go, go the hard yards to do things that will make a difference to others. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I'd like to say this is the dif difference, honestly, between leadership and management. So I think an effective leader that's leading from the inside then, because they see how hard it is to, d to get up every morning and put their brain in that direction that is setting it for a better day, positive mindset, as you call it, um, takes a lot of effort and it takes conscious awareness that you have to do that every day when you start to do that every day you then realize what other people are going through and that brings in the empathy and the compassion and as you start to train your brain in this direction um, you then start to recognize what it's going to take for you to help others to do the same thing and and then they copy you because that's the mirror neuron system that's how it works they're they're following they're going to follow you and copy you and that's why people go up when you go up and they go down when you go down because that's just how it works from a brain perspective um, and so I wanted to add there that when you're when you're doing this what I see anyway is you're then maximizing the potential of all of those other brains that you're leading because none of us have the answers and now especially as we enter these complex times especially as we head into 2021 don't we need people to be creative and innovative as you as we go back to the beginning of our podcast how do we help others look for opportunity and not just talk about the crisis around the water fountain at work or not or over zoom calls because the temptation always is to look at the case numbers to look at the doom and gloom scenario you can't help it it's just the nature of the way things are fed to us so as we become in this mindset i'm going to be more conscious of becoming a more effective leader and everyone can grow and change you've never or you're not ever an effective leader full stop we're all growing especially as we age um, so what can we do right now to become a more effective leader? Well, um, I mean, I've shared a fair bit of my story about a, an academic career coming to an end and moving into consulting work. Uh, I mean, the, the, I, I completely agree with you that what we're talking about here is leadership rather, rather than management. And 
There are a lot of people that might be listening to this podcast who might think, well, that's all right. I'm, I'm not the leader. I'm the manager or the, the follower or, or someone else is the leader. And I wish someone would go and tell them that so that they could be better. But well, I think we all have agency and leadership. I mean, we have it with the, te- the small teams that we're part of. We have it with the colleagues that we're part of. We have it with our friends. We have it with our families. And one of the, one of the, um, one of the biggest instances of that for me this year has has been how my own transition from uh, a, a leadership career that had a title associated with it and lots of resources associated with it and status that coming to an end and suddenly starting something completely new I think for for the kids in our families um, to observe that I've, I've got two kids of my own that relocated to Melbourne two weeks before the lockdown. I've got another daughter um, that's living in Sweden, which we're all widely aware has had a slightly different approach to all of this that carries with it more risk. I've got elderly parents in the UK. I've got now another um, member of our family relocated recently from California to be here in Brisbane and encounter the new challenges of as a 19-year-old, being in a strange place with a whole new group of friends to make and new customs and culture to experience. For, for all of those members of our families to see us be positive, optimistic and have a go and conduct ourselves well and lead ourselves well as we be, try and become better leaders of friendship groups, families, small teams, or big organizations, it can make such a big difference, such a big difference to how others can then feel supported, supported by what they see us do rather than what they hear us say, to to pursue the same objectives themselves. And I think of all, of, of all my lessons in leadership in the situations that I've been involved in it's been those amongst all those different members of our families that I've perhaps taken most joy and and satisfaction from yeah and that's the greatest experiment we all do isn't it so so in these times of um, uncertainty and, and and we know there is the one thing that we can get some little bit of certainty around, which is very calming from a neuroscience brain perspective, is what you can do for yourself. You actually can control that. You don't need a lot of resources to do that. There's really simple strategies you can use, like the way you wake up in the morning helps a lot and goes a long way. And who would have ever thought it would be something simple like that that can generate so much great things for you in your family, in your own life. And then as you go to work um, as this leader under crisis, you can draw back on these effective inside leadership skills, as we like to call them. And they have a flow on effect because as you make yourself feel safe, the brain feels safer, it then allows you to become more creative because it's opening up that thinking part of your brain at the top that allows you to make good short-term decisions like going for a run or a swim instead of just eating some more ice cream, for example. I know that's like <laughs> to do with food and nutrition, but it's all related. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, and I think this is an issue that's 
even more important with the unusual living living and working arrangements that we all have. I mean, the 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 the, the difference in 2019 when almost everybody was getting up and leaving whatever their domestic situation was and what they'd done overnight to put on that different uniform, make that 10, 20, 30, 60 minute journey, however long it is, to a new environment, be with in a new physical setting with a new group of people and put on their work face and then return home. That's gone for just about everybody for at least some part of this year. And it makes it even more important that that to, to some extent you have to, I think, then replace that ritual with some other ritual that allows you to move from the off work mode where as a leader you're less on view to the on duty mode that can have you being an an inspiring leader. I, I know that in many of my years as a senior executive in universities I saw it myself that because you're always on duty there were there were I it's like I had two settings. It was on duty, on show, 110% full time, and coming away from that and relaxing and almost switching off and go to sleep. And there's a great danger in the work from home environment of those things becoming mixed up. So I think it makes it even more important for everyone when they're waking up in the morning. It's us ourselves that decides whether we're going to be happy every day. No one else decides whether we're going to be happy for us. It's us that decides whether we're going to start with a positive mindset. It's us that decides whether we're going to start with a 5K runner along the river and some healthy food for breakfast. And making the conscious decision to do that every day before you go into your office at home means that you're going through the ritual of putting on, putting on your positive, good leader, good brain, healthy brain face every day. Why wouldn't you choose to do that every day? What a great conclusion to the first in this series um, effective leadership for your team starts with effective leadership of yourself and 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 I've seen this over and over again in my experience since I discovered neuroplasticity about seven years ago and and made a dramatic change in my own life that it honestly starts in this simple format of the first thing when you open those eyes and you look out into the world and be grateful that we're actually alive, even though it's not perfect right now. It's still, this is it, <laughs> folks. And this is the bit we actually do have control of. And as you get that control, the brain starts to come down, calm down. And it allows you to, to do all of this opportunity seeking. And that's the key right now as Australians, as we move into 2021. We need to start looking for the opportunities. And we also need to help each other. I find that this helping each other piece is kind of critical. Um, being kind at the moment really matters, especially as we've had digital disruption and many other things taking away from our connectedness in some way. So I want to thank you for joining the Thriving Minds podcast. I hope you learned something from our Thriving Leaders series. Um, I hope you're thriving and you can help your team thrive. And let's look for those opportunities as we move forward um, as we finish 2020. So thank you and I hope you have a great rest of the year.